Welcome, everybody. Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, and it is titled, Rules for Christian Households. Beginning in verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word. You may be seated. Jesus is the missing piece of the puzzle. Let me kind of get my stuff here all set up. Let's see. My computer has optical recognition, and it just realized it's me. Hello there, Siri, or computer, as they said in the movie 2000, was it Odyssey, Space, Space Odyssey 2000, whatever it was? Hello, Hal. I like to use movie quotes and famous quotes to kind of remind me of stuff and get, make a point sometimes. So, hey, we're talking about harmony in the home today. That was the verse that you read, and we're going to get to that soon enough. Um, I want to kind of lay the stage. First of all, we've been talking about Colossians and our completeness in Christ. And uh, I want to start with a, a conversation about Jerry Maguire. How many of you remember that movie? There you go. That's one of the... Show me the money. There were a number of great quotes from that. And by the way, appreciate the interaction. Those of you who have taken the Love Your Marriage class know that I liked a little bit of banter. You can tease me. I'm f perfectly fine with that. You can shout out an answer. That's fine, too. Uh, the more, the better. So just because we're in church on Sunday doesn't mean we can't have fun, right? It's a joy to serve the Lord and be with others who love the Lord. So we should just be able to be free and family, and that means you get to tease each other, including me. So, um, so anyway, Jerry Maguire, yes, show me the money. That was one. The other one was something about a quan, whatever that was. And then, of course, the one that probably fits most for this particular uh, series that we're in. There you go. He walks into the room, a home full of ladies who were male bashing. He's had this big night on the football field and realized what's really, truly important to him and what he needs more than anything in the world is Renee Zellweger. <laughs> and so with tears in his eyes, he approaches the room embarrassing himself in front of the women and he says those very, very memorable words, you complete me. Yeah. I'm not going to repeat what she said because it's equally as stupid. So. So 36 years ago when I met my wife, um, I have to say there was a little Jerry Maguire in me as well. Um, my wife, true, uh, I think there's a little Jerry Maguire in all of us actually. It's very natural to look across the horizontal plane for completeness and to fulfill our needs. And sometimes the need we have is to be needed. Okay, so um, I'd met my wife and we were dating for a while and uh, she had two kids from a prior marriage. She had a curiosity for the Lord. She hadn't made a full commitment to that, hadn't been baptized yet, but I'd been a Christian for about three years. And uh, so some of the thing I thought would be a way I could fill that need and feel needed was share the love of Christ with her, right? It's a good thing, but maybe not with the best motives or reasons, right? So although I had a good heart, there was still something in me that kind of liked being needed for spiritual wisdom, okay? And then there was those two boys, precious little ones, probably three-ish and four-ish, one with Coke bottle glasses and hungry and in need. And they needed a dad. And so I needed to be needed like that too. And that's a good thing. It's not, not a great thing or an ultimate thing. But, so it's common. I just share that with you. So Jerry Maguire, as much as he's worthy of our banter on him or, or comments, I'm kind of like Jerry Maguire too. And maybe you are as well. So, nothing will disrupt harmony in the home or in our relationships more than codependent, consumer, creation-focused relationships. Our completeness in Christ is our catalyst to harmony with God, others within the body of Christ, 
and those within our homes. It's actually our completeness that motivates us to be committed contributors and not consumers. Okay. Scripture says this, out of the abundance of love we received, we will freely give, right? Freely you receive, freely you'll give. Luke says those who have been forgiven much, love much. The opposite is actually true as well. If we are struggling being loving or forgiving, it's because we have not fathomed the love and forgiveness we received. As simple as that. I love that Luke says this, that God has this thing I like to call responsive reciprocity. That's a fancy word. You can try and write that down. But basically it says something like this. Give it will be given unto you, pressed down and overflowing onto your lap. You cannot outgive God. If you give God's love out, you can't outgive him in that. And boy, I'll tell you what, it will be given back to you in magnified form. Even when you give it, and especially when you give it to those who don't deserve it, those who are not lovely or lovable. Matthew says this in 546, part of the Sermon on the Mount stuff. It's one of my favorite verses to talk about love. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? Just prior to that, he used to talk about blessing those who persecute you and all that other stuff. So, it's an all too common mistake for Christians and non-believers to try and find completeness in created things. That's Romans 125. God created and designed the marriage relationship. He designed it to function harmoniously, to fulfill a specific purpose on the planet. Genesis 2.18 talks about when he finally made Eve, he said, it was not good, it was not good, this is good, right? I know I'm talking in the context of today's verses about marriages, but I want to tell you that harmony within our body of Christ is the family here. We're a home of ourselves, okay? So harmony within whatever relationships you have is important, right? Certainly in the home environment, which we're talking about, but if you're not married, this is still for you, right? If you're not married, then Christ, ladies, if you're not married, Christ is your husband, and he wants to have harmony with you, and he wants to put you under his protection, and he wants to provide for you, he wants to do the same things he wants earthly husbands to do for their wives here. So uh, just be aware that this is not, I know this is a marriage verse and a home thing, but I'm sure there's, God, God's not limited. He can do something with what we share today when it comes from his word. So <clears throat> Genesis goes on from there to say, the two shall become one, but that does not mean that two halves will ever make a whole. When couples discover that their two halves didn't make a whole, they often try to fill the void by creating things. They have kids. <laughs> hey, it could happen. Angels in the outfield, 1982. <laughs> it could happen. Actually, it does happen, doesn't it? I'm sure you know people that have said, hey, this isn't going so well. Maybe if we have kids, it will change him. Or it will change her. How many people go to the altar saying, well, I know it's not so good right now, but if we get married, it will change. Uh-huh. It will. <laughs> That's the one thing I warn premaritals who have this rose-colored glasses, you know, as they're going into marriage. It's going to change. There's like seven rings we talk about in the, uh, in the Love Your Marriage class. Engagement ring, wedding ring, third ring, discovering. It's changing. He goes on from there. But Speaking of that, I think there's some newlyweds here. Where are Abby and Jeremy Sikrofsky? Please stand. They got married here just last Friday. There they are. Stand up. Come on. Let everybody see how tall you are, Jeremy. Yeah, they are. So just be comfortable. As we spoke before, you were doing your premarital stuff. It's going to change. I think because you're on the track with God and pursuing him first, it's going to continue to go in the right direction, and you're going to gain momentum through each year. So that's my prayer and blessing for you as well. So, Okay, where was I? By the way, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to go a little long. That's just what I do. So please be patient. So 
when they decide to have kids, this only compounds the deficit and the completeness deficit. Created things can point you to the creator, but they cannot replace the creator. When you look to your children as your source of completeness, you have made them your God. They will either crush you with disappointment or you will crush them with demands. Is that enough? Pretty heavy stuff. For today's topic, Harmony in the Home, and the most famous line from history that comes to my mind, courtesy of Rodney King in 1992. Anybody remember? Why can't we all just get along? Well, harmony amongst us, the body of Christ, and harmony within our homes is God's will. There's lots of scriptures that suggest that. God wants unity of the spirit, bond of peace. He wants us to be one with one another. He wants us as a body here to get along, to be harmonious. God definitely says lots of scriptures about that. And by the way, Jesus' actions demonstrated that that was really something he was trying to establish when he actually died to reunify us with our Father in heaven. And by his spirit wants us to unify with one another and be of the same mind. So we know that God wants that. But it answers the question, scripture answers Rodney King's question, why we can't with three different reasons. Number one, we have an enemy whose methodology is division. He came, divided heaven, came down to earth, divided man from each other and man from God, and it went from there. Division, 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 discord, 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 harmony lost, okay? Only to be restored by the goodness and grace of our Lord. Number one. Number two is, we are by nature sinners, and we're told that you have war, which is the opposite of peace, which is an antonym of, or peace being a synonym of harmony, war being an antonym of harmony, War within ourselves, we have a flesh that we deal with. The flesh is at war with the spirit. And frankly, I have to admit, I have a pretty selfish bent now and then. I think of myself pretty often. I do like to be served. So you have your flesh. Oh, what did I just do there? There we go. I don't know what I'm doing with my computer. Number three, we have the pressures of this world, right? They're intensifying as we go year after year. Those pressures in in the social element are telling us to do things that we know are not God's will. They're encouraging us to be compliant in those things or even complicit. And I'm telling you, it's getting harder and harder. And the influences on our children are getting more and more insidious and crafted. I've been told to forewarn people about the movie Red. So... Necromancy is an abomination, so let that be said. Okay, so you have self-society and Satan that are against us. That's why it's so hard to have harmony. But God said that these are no match for him. They're no match for his promises, and they're no match for his power in our lives. If your spirit is willing but weak, perfect. Your need for God is an invitation to see his kingdom power in the middle of your little kingdom here on earth in your homes, and your homes are little kingdoms that God has entrusted to you. Last week's message, we had all kinds of very helpful directives and hints and helpful tools from the God scripture to how to create harmony in our relationships with compassion and kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, truth and love confrontation. Today I'm gonna share four key attitudes to harmony in our homes, and then we'll look at today's scripture and we'll discover God's design and directives therein for creating and maintaining harmony in our home. Harmony matters. Harmony in our relationships, in our homes, and elsewhere is evidence that we are a part of God's body of Christ and on mission. That mission to be God-glorifying, to be salt, to be light, and to be a source of his love. So let's pray before we go further. Lord, thank you so much for every person here. As it says in your book of Revelation, I ask that you give every person here, anyone who has ears, give them the ability to hear as what we talk about goes forth. Lord, that your word would reign supreme, that it would transform our minds and hearts and manifest in actions, that they would know us by our love for one another. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, key to harmony number one. Ready for some fill in the blanks? Get your pen and paper ready? Okay. 
Key to harmony in the home, number one. I call this the Colossians 3, Colossians 3, set your mind on things above default setting that is necessary as the beginning point for anything. And as a matter of fact, if we could just do this one key, pretty much everything else will follow naturally. But let's start there. Ready? Seek God first. God's rewarder of those who, who diligently seek him. What that means is make him your priority and your first pursuit, especially when discord or a lack, bless you, whoever that was. This is the second, I did that in the last service too, bless you. So, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God first, make him your first priority and your first pursuit. When things aren't going harmoniously, your natural default setting is what? Try and fix it, make it right, you know, do something else. Well, you might be careful in doing that because if you just do go off, you know, roughshod and do what you think is right before consulting someone of higher authority, you may mess things up. Matter of fact, if you try and take control or try and muscle up through, or, you know, try to do something godly, you know, that's flesh. And when you do it on your own, guess who gets the credit? I was an awesome husband. I'm such a harmony maker. Uh-huh. Pride comes before a fall, my friend, and how great that fall shall be. Be very careful. The pathway to heaven is a low path. It's a humble path. So, just saying, make God first. Make him the one you first go to. And that takes some practice, by the way. Because that's not your natural bent. So when something's not harmonious, the first thing you do is you seek your Father in heaven and say, what's going on? Lord, help me see this as you see it. What do you think is the best thing to do? What, are your, what does your word say? Here's your next one. Love God foremost more than anyone, anything, or any place. I could tell you once I got married, I really, I, I still do. I am madly in love with my wife. I am. More madly in love today than ever before, actually. But there was a time. Again, I loved her out of her need to love me and to be loved. I made her my God. My little mini God, right? Sure, I love the Lord, but that was, those were shoes too big for her to fill. God never intended the temporal with the temporary to fill the need of the infinite. That's just too much to ask of anyone. So I say, love your God more. Love him more than you love your wife. And your wife will have the husband she dreamed of. Wives, love your Lord more than you love your husband. And your husband will have the wife he dreamed of. That's the most important thing. Our counselor flat out told us that when I was in the counseling room and we're both, you know, firing bullets back across the table saying, well, she did this and he did that. Yeah, she always, she, he never, you know, all that. He separated us and said, listen, here's a scripture. tells you about taking the log out of your own eye. And then he said, you worry about you and let God take care of her. You do what God says and trust him with the results with your wife. My wife is a dream boat. I mean it. Love God first and foremost. Make God the foundation. Build your house on the rock. Don't build it on sand. Okay? The ways of the world, what the world tells you is right, don't listen to that garbage. Okay? Build it on the rock. There's some scriptures there that talk about all those things. We've heard them before. So I saw a t-shirt that I really liked a lot. And we talk about harmony and peace. And the t-shirt said this. K-N-O-W-G-O-D. Capital G. No God. Then it had a comma. And the next thing it said was N-O, capital G. No peace. No God. No peace, no God, no peace. I thought it was pretty profound, actually. 
So what harmony isn't? Let's go through some antonyms and dissonance, or dis, uh, antonyms and synonyms and kind of help you get a little bit of a picture for what this is, uh, what harmony isn't. Harmony is not dissonance. Dissonance is like a, a clinker, right? It's, a, it's an off note. Other words for that would be dissension or discord. In music, it would be when someone plays discord and somebody mistakenly plays that chord. Sorry, but that's true. When you're not playing the same chords or the same notes that you're supposed to be playing, you have discord. Unity is not division. We've already kind of talked about that. The opposite of unity would be division. Peace, or was it war? By the way, there's time for war with righteous anger for righteous purposes, okay? There's a time to say no to things, right? It should never be peace at any price because that would be harmony or love for the world, right? Fellowship with the deeds of darkness is what that would be or could be. It's order and not chaos. Now, just so you know, there can be a lot of order and a lot of joy in chaos in a family, okay? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you grandpas like me. Nothing is more joyous than the whole chaos when you got two great-grandkids and six, grand, six other grandchildren and the other family members all together tearing your house apart. You know, there's a lot of joy in that. But we're talking about chaos. This is like order, chaos, clarity versus confusion. Another result of chaos is anarchy. The good news is if that's your condition today, God is a, is a master of taking messes and making them into masterpieces. My life included, yours as well. Praise God. Harmony is a musical term. It describes the coming together of different notes to create resonance, a fullness. Usually it's in a three-note triad, similar to the trinity. And isn't that interesting? Resonance is a fullness. It's, 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 a, it's a magnified dimension of impact upon the ears that's more enjoyable. God wants that to be your marriages. He wants them to resonate and extend that resonation over time in ways that are God-glorifying. He wants them to be bright and full. He wants people to look at your relationships, both in marriages or even here, and go, People should see that and go, what is going on? Do you hear the way they talk to each other? Do you sense the love that they have for each other? Do you, did you hear them encouraging one another? Did you hear them casting burdens on each other's shoulders and how that one girl prayed for that other person? We should look very different. And the harmony we share here and within our homes should have resonation throughout the entire planet. The Trinity is a perfect example, so is marriage. Different things doing different things, doing the same thing to accomplish the same mission. So different things doing something to pursue the same objective. When our marriages are at homes are harmonious, they fully resonate, they glorify God. When they don't har have harmony, they, the opposite is equally true. The problem is you have resonation either way. It does last the impact is very different. So let me talk a little bit about the Trinity as I kind of line out some things that you may not have ever considered before, and we're going to get to them in Scripture. So the Trinity, we have what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? All different, different positions, equal in, in, in godliness, right? Father in heaven does something very different than what Jesus did. Holy Spirit does something very different than what Jesus and the Father did but they all work harmoniously together to accomplish his will in our lives and here. Are you tracking with me? Guess what the scripture says about husbands? It says, love your wife like Christ. Gave himself up for her, washed her with the word. Guess what he says about the wives? You are made to be a helpmate suitable for him. Helpmate 
that's described in Genesis is the same word that's used as the helper that Jesus said would be ascend upon the, the disciples in Acts. The helper does what? He, he helps Christ go forward. He supports Christ in the endeavor. Quietly, right? Gently, like a wind that blesses through. Wives, suitable, helpmate. Husbands, servant, sacrificial lover of your wife and children, and those to who he's entrusted to you. All submitting under the triunity, trinity of God. Picture that. You have a tall order, guys. Ladies, you have a tall order as well. The Trinity is the perfect, harmonious relationship. And when we submit to the Trinity and create our own Trinity and exercise our roles, harmony will be established in our homes. Harmony does not require sameness of means. They all do something different. But it does require sameness of mind and sameness of mission. That's a teaser. You're all going to be sitting on your seats for a while going, Tell me what the mission is. Tell me what the mission is. That's right. I'll get there. Again, it doesn't require sameness of means, but it does require sameness of mind and mission. We see all kinds of scriptures talk about the different functions of different members of the body. That's Corinthians. Philippians talks about being of the same love, same spirit and mind. Romans talks about living in harmony. Acts 2 talks about living in accord. When you think about this particular harmonious endeavor, it says it speaks to working in cooperation, co-operators, Coordination, meaning some kind of design and function pattern, is coordinated, it's not just random. And then collaborative speaks to the differences of the individuals doing different things, right? But they're all working towards the same end. And for that, we need to know what the mission is, and I will get to that. Key to harmony in the home number two. Everyone in the home, little ones included, need to learn or must know what the mission is. They must be of the same mind on the same mission, but they need to know what the mission is. This speaks to vision. Vision is a picture of the future that creates a passion within to pursue it. Where there is no vision, Proverbs 19 tells us what happens. People go astray. People die, it says. Have you heard that proverb before? Where there is no vision? You guys are kind of quiet. Told you you could interact. Yeah, people die. So when there is no mission and no vision, there is no harmony. And therefore, people are doing whatever they want to. People go astray, and that means they're not on the same mission anymore, which means you have an unequally yoked and divided household. Okay? Sound pretty crazy, doesn't it? Everybody wants to go their own way. G.I. Joe says this. I love G.I. Joe. Are you, are you tired of my, my favorite quotes yet? What does G.I. Joe say? Knowing is half the battle. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Knowing is half the battle. The other half is doing something about it. So we're doing something with that knowledge, right? Good job. So mission aptitude equals mission attitudes. We need to know what the mission is in order for our attitudes and passion to be fulfilled. We need to learn how to communicate the mission. Husbands, you are the priest of your household. You need to lead this communication content. It's up to you. If you have the mission and you know what it is, it's up to you to lead the content communication to your homes and keep the home on mission. You need to share the truth with love and the love you've received. So you lead. Wives, you're the priestess. Husband, priest, lead. Wife, priestess, you temper the delivery of that content. I need my wife to temper my delivery sometimes, especially in our homes dealing with little rugrats. Okay. My boys who are five years old ought to know exactly what they should do. Not going to happen. So when I tell them what they ought to do when they're doing what they ought not do, sometimes I just want to go, just do it. Right? I need my wife to say, you know, maybe if you ask them a few questions or did you see how they closed down when you started talking to them? Did you see how you just shut them completely out? Because I think what they heard was one thing. You're really upset right now. 
They didn't learn anything from what you said. They didn't know what to do differently. All they know was dad is mad. So I need my wife sometimes to temper. If my boys are off mission, yeah, I want them back on mission. I'll tell you what that is in a minute, but I want them back on mission. But I need my wife to sometimes help me deliver that mission message so they can get it and get on board. Same is true of little girls. Boy, I'll tell you what, daddies and their little girls, you got to be really careful. Women are fragile, so are little girls. They're fragile. Guys are fragile too, but they just don't show it the same way. So, the mission is not harmony. You may have thought that's what we're going for, but it's not. The mission is not harmony. Harmony is the result or outcome of being of the same mind and mission, okay? So, mind and mission go together, and they create the outcome of harmony. If you make harmony the mission, this is peace at any price, you may default to to try and accomplish it with either controlling people, complacency, giving up, compromising your standards, or even becoming complicit, just joining them all. Just go with the flow. You become in the world and of the world. Be forewarned that friendship with the world is enmity against God. Have no fellowship with deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. And for parents, do not lead your little ones to stumble. There's a heavy consequence for that. That's that's described exactly like that in Scripture. It's a heavy consequence placed around your feet and thrown into the depths of the sea. Ready for the mission? Anybody asleep or still out there? Are you still with me? Okay. Here's the mission. Your mission, our mission, every person's mission who's made Jesus Christ professed faith in him as their Lord and Savior. To know God, an intimate relationship with him. To know him, to be with him, to work on your communication with him on a regular basis intimate basis, minute by minute throughout your entire life, to know him above all things. And I mean talk to him. I love the scripture that says, come let us reason together. Let's talk. That's what you have. That's a relationship. If the only time you talk to God is when you're on your knees in need, he's happy to answer then, but you're missing out. He wants to be right here, right now, in the middle of whatever you're in, with you. He wants you to know him. And he wants you, by knowing him, to make him known. That's your mission. To know God and to make him known. So let me ask you, how comfortable would you be if we put one of those spy cams in every room of your household or in your car as you drove around town? And that's the mission. You're trying to make him known and make it obvious that you know him and you're talking to him all the time. Well, if you aren't talking to him all the time, are you going to make him known? Would what we see on the little spy cam say, oh, they must be following Jesus. Man, look at the love. Look at the words that come out of their mouth. Look at that compassion. My goodness, did you see them pull over and help that old lady across the street? Would you see things like that? How about in your homes when your wife is acting unbecomingly and your children are going crazy? Would we see a camera that says, look at that. Praise God. What a wonderful Christian. That guy must really love the Lord. Not in my house every day. Not in my car every day. Not for sure. That's the mission. If we could just embrace that as you walk out these doors and say, hmm, how's my relationship with you, Lord? What's on your mind today? What are you doing in me? What do you want me to do? What's the most important thing to deal with today? Lord, am I going to be able to make you known by what I say and do to my wife and my kids and anybody who crosses my path? Will I be your voice to them? Will I be your hands and feet? Colossians talks about letting the word dwell within us that we would manifest it in songs of praise. Corinthians talks about doing whatever, everything, all for God's glory. Deuteronomy tells us to fathers and mothers to talk about the things of God when you walk, when you rise, when you lie down. 
every minute, every day, knowing God and making him known. Because we're self-focused sinners and live in a fallen world with other self-focused sinners, like little kids like this, like big ones like me and you, we should not expect a constant state of harmony with others. Expectations often lead to disappointment, don't they? They lead us to setting standards of performance for others that are very, very dangerous. Because once they don't meet our standard, we act as God and think they deserve our judgment. But we shouldn't expect a constant state of harmony with others in our homes or with our God. Sometimes you'll feel out of harmony with God, and that's really good too. It's okay to feel out of harmony with God. Don't get judgy. Everybody needs a little grace. Expect ebbs and flows in all those relationships. A lack of harmony is telling you something. It's important to understand what it is saying to you or about those people that you're dealing with that aren't in harmony with you. It's important to ask those questions and ask for wisdom and listen for the answers to be still and know that God is God and he will answer. If you need wisdom, he says, I will be happy to answer that for you. I will impart it to you in abundance without regret or remorse or retribution or any kind of concern. I will not hesitate. James tells us that. So first of all, what's it saying to you? James tells us what causes fights among us is the fights that war within us. It's that lack of completeness within that we're trying to fulfill here in the horizontal plane. We want those passions fulfilled and we're not getting our way and that creates wars among us, okay? When my wife wasn't loving to me or even wanting to be physically affectionate to me, and I'm just talking about hugs and kisses, I deserve that. I'm working hard. I gotta come home and I should get a hug and a kiss. Uh-huh. in me, among us. How does she feel when it's like, don't you want to give me a kiss? Um, no. <laughs> Would you like to say hello first or something? Or, or you know, how was my day? You know. By the way, quite honestly, if you've noticed, I always hug and kiss my wife when we say hello, when we say goodbye, when we go tonight. Bless you again. I'm just saying, we should not be expecting things. It's the wars among, among us that we evidence of wars within us. When we do encounter difficult situations, we're told to count it joy because God's doing work in us. Don't be surprised. That's what we were warned. You should expect it. Storms are going to come, but they're all intended for God's good and glory. I love Psalm 139. It says this, search me, O Lord, if there's anything within me. And by the way, that's not me mulling over and obsessing. It's me asking God to search my heart and reveal it to me. James 1.19 is really one of the best verses you could ever memorize if you want to talk about how to engage with people or try to understand what's going on for them and why they're not in harmony with them. Write it down. James 1.19. It's not in your notes. It says this. Let everyone be quick to hear, bless you, slow to speak and slow to anger. For they anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. In other words, anger will just create more discord and disharmony. You tracking with that? What it does say is this. Quick to hear. You better ask some questions. Listen carefully. Be slow to speak. Think before you open up this and lay a, a whirlwind out there. And watch your emotional state. You might be angry, offended, bothered, Irritated, frustrated, tired, hungry, hangry. <laughs> you got to know where you're at before you do that, that you might restore it. Because if you lay a can of anger out there, it won't accomplish righteousness. Okay, key number three. Embrace your Lord as you welcome the opportunities. Expect opposition and obstacles. Imperfect people, yourself included, and situations are opportunities for us to experience God. And you can just circle these things. In these obstacles, 
the opportunity is to experience God's power. In your weakness, he is strong. And when he does the work, he gets the praise. You get to experience his presence. You draw nearer to him, he draws nearer to you, and he's with you in the moment, for you, moving with you, strengthening you. And you have the supernatural peace that passes all understanding because of that, that brings calm to the storm and harmony where there was discord. That's a miraculous experience. That's the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And you have an opportunity to experience that. Or you can choose not. What's he going to do through that? He's going to redeem, restore, or refine either you or the individuals you're dealing with. Maybe you need the redemption. Maybe you need the restoration, something that was lost and has to be found. Maybe you just need to be refined a little bit. I could use a little refining all the time. I'm glad that Philippians tells me this. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that I'm comforted by the fact that I am in process. I can set my expectations at a reasonable level and expect the fact that the righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. So, personally, sometimes I said this, I can't drive in traffic without losing my cool. I just can't. Sometimes, like I said, my kids got on my nerves. Not here, but prior co-workers disappointed me. There's financial stresses, illnesses can interrupt your harmony, death. Romans tells us, but for as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all. In spite of all of it, be still and know, I am the Lord. I am with you. My power will manifest in your weakness. I am redeeming you, restoring you, refining you through this discord. So don't avoid discord. Don't expect it to always be perfect because it won't but expect that that in itself has a purpose too. Recap. Key number one, set your, things, set your things above default. Key number two, commit to being of the same mind and on the same mission. Key number three, expect opposition and obstacles. Welcome the opportunities. Okay. We're getting closer to the verse of today, and I'm about to give you key number four, then we'll go right there. But um, I want to boldly go where no man likes to go before we head toward the next text. I need to talk to you about a word that is very unpopular. It's in the Bible, and it's especially unpopular with women for good reason. No one loves the word submit or the idea of submitting, not that much if we really were honest with ourselves. Would you agree? In America, we're taught to be the rugged, independent, you know, in charge. So I'm gonna address the, the aversion for women. This verse does say that, and it means it for good reasons. It's part of God putting the design in order. But no woman should ever submit to anyone husband, wife, or whatever, if they aren't telling you or showing you the way to doing something righteous. If they're telling you to do something that is morally wrong, you have the right to say, honey, I love you, no. And you have a responsibility to say that. You would not be light in your own household to your husband if you submitted to that. Correct? Is that clear enough? The reason why no one likes to submit Guys don't like it mostly because it sounds weak, okay? Like lesser. Somebody else is in charge of me. We don't like that. But the reason why we should or would is because we would trust the person we're submitting to. <laughs> if we knew the person that was leading us, that was worthy of us to put our trust and faith in them because they had our best interests in mind and they were looking out for us, we would be more willing, be more willing to say, yes, I'll do that. 
when God tells you his do's and don'ts, it's because he loves you and he wants you to experience his best, right? When he says don't do this, it's because he knows don't go up those stairs is an attractive thing for most of us and we want to go that way, but he's saying please don't. I love you too much. It's important to realize that that element of submission is actually a very Christ-like behavior. Christ himself had a real conversation with his Father in Heaven at the most unbelievably high-pressure moment of his life in the garden. And what does he say? Oh, Lord, if it's possible, yet not my will, I submit to your will. I know that you have the best for me and all. And there is no other way or else you would do it. Now you want to talk about strength under pressure? Guys, that is anything but weak. And we, we choose to submit to our Father and serve in our household and accept our role. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy and you may not like it. But with God who's for you and with you, you can do it. You can do it. Christ is the example. He chose to submit his will to the Father. He chose, like he chose us, to be subjects of the King of Kings. And maybe that helps. Maybe if instead of saying the word submit, we could say, we are subjects of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe that appeals to our male nature of soldiers in battle or guys in armament or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm a subject of the king. You get to choose. You do not have to choose to submit. Key to harmony number four, an overwhelming attitude of gratitude that moves you to submission. A hearts of humility that choose to submit or have submission and a sacrificial, an attitude of sacrificial servitude. Your heart is smitten to submit and serve sacrificially. This is the natural result of being smitten and humbled by the sacrificial love of God. Harmony in the home requires hearts of humility towards one another. Hearts of humility towards our kids. What do you mean? You're, you're the dad. Yeah. I can tell you, I tried to lord over my kids and control them for a long time. It did not work very well. I needed my wife to temper my content and temper my discussions and temper my demeanor because I like to do this. What she said is, do this. Hey, what's going on here? Tell me how come you thought it was a good idea to set that cat on fire. That's a joke, that didn't happen, but you get the idea. <laughs> to come under and serve them. What am I serving them with? God's love, God's peace, God's patience, God's understanding. I am loving them and making God known to them by the way I interact with them as a humble servant unto them. I know my position, I am in charge. I've been charged to lead and that's a heavy load to carry. That's not easy to do. It runs counter to my, I lead with this kind of thing, but no, God says lead with love. You want them to hear truth? Love first. Love builds the relationship and gives you the equity that they want to hear the truth. Hearts of humility. Submit to God. Accept his design and directives. Romans 12, 1 through 2 talks about this, presenting your bodies as an offer of living sacrifice, a spiritual act of worship. When we obey him and do what he says to do, it's a spiritual act of worship. Romans 12, 2 tells us, don't be conformed to the world because it tells you to do something very different. Yeah. <laughs> the world says, ah, you don't need to do that. And lastly, serve each other. The greatest among you will always be your servant. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others more important than yourself and look out for the interests of others. James also tells us, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Does anybody want to be a good dad? Do you want to be respected and honored by your kids? Wives, do you want to be a good mom? Respected and honored by your kids? Absolutely. Does God want that? Yes, he does. You know what the key to that is, verse in James? 
humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will be the operant to lift you up before your kids, and they'll go, oh, I want to obey my mom. Oh, I, yeah, Dad, you lead, I'll follow. I know you've got my best interests in mind. I know you love me. I know you love God, and I know that that's the most important thing for you. And if he's worthy of your love, Dad, I want to love him too. That's what you want. Humble yourself. God will lift you up, and you will be a respected and, a, and a adored father and mother. They'll obey you because they love you. And they'll obey God because they love him, not because they to were told to do so and were afraid of doing something wrong. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. By the way, there should be no fear in a harmonious home. If there's fear, then there's not perfect love. And fear would be the opposite. It actually would be a destroyer of harmony, wouldn't it? I didn't say this in the last service, so they missed out. But it's a pretty important point to make. I don't want my wife or my kids to be afraid of me. Ever. Those words broke me when my wife came to me one time and she said those very same things. I'd tell you what's going on with the family today, but I'm afraid of what you'll do. She didn't trust how I would respond. She was literally afraid to tell me that. And God just seared that into my heart saying, you want your wife to fear you? Really? No. It broke me. And I don't want my wife to fear me. I don't want my kids to fear me. I want them to know I love them, even if it's a tough discussion. Even if they're breaking my heart, I want them to know I'm loving them anyway. Sorry. Now we're ready to get to the scripture finally, and we've got two minutes. I'll go fast. So Colossians 3.18 and 5.21 of Ephesians both say similar things. Um, they establish God's design and directives. Let's first look at the original design briefly in the Garden of Eden. Here's how it goes. God makes man. He says, man is, is, it's not good that man is alone. He says, therefore, I'll make a helpmate suitable for him, parallel to the Holy Spirit, who will surround him, and bada bing, bada boom. Then they get to three, and everything falls off. The, wheel, the wheels all fall off, and et cetera, et cetera. But I do want to say this to women. When they were created at the very, very onset, they made man, God made man from dust, and they made woman from... Ladies, you are amazing. You are worthy of every man's respect and honor. Scripture tells us we're supposed to do that. But just in that scripture alone, I like to say it this way. Women, you are mankind 2.0. I'm serious. There are things you do, things you, ways you say things. Think, I mean, you have this capacity of thinking and this emotional sensitivity and this intuition and this other stuff that I just don't get. I'm just me, okay? I just don't get it. And boy, I am willing to accept the fact that I am better with a helpmate by my side. She's intended to help me, and sometimes it hurts, but I need to just embrace it as part of the opportunity to say, hey, Lord, you're helping me through her. Help me just accept that and embrace that. Thank you, Lord, for that helpmate to my side. Women, you are amazing. You are not lesser than. Don't let anyone ever tell you that. You were both man and woman made in God's image, equal. And by the way, I might just say this, a lot of the spiritual work that gets done here in the church. Thank you, ladies. Serious. Guys, we can learn from that. So... Here we go. So it says this, and now we're at the scripture. Colossians says it this way. Um, actually, I just jumped to it because we're short on time. When I put the verses, Colossians 3, 18 through 21, together with Ephesians 21 through 26, we hear the full context of what God's talking about for harmony in the homes. The first thing he says in Ephesians 21 that is not in Colossians, he says this, submit and serve one another out of reverence for Christ. It's your reverence for Christ that's your motivation to serve anybody. Reverence means, oh, Lord, thank you. Oh, Lord, you are so good. How could I not want to do that? You love me so much. You are worthy of praise. Then it goes to the ladies. So reverence and serving in that way, the humble attitude, is for husbands too. Guys, you don't get a pass. 
You're submitting. You're submitting to one another, submitting to Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This is the caveat that says if they're telling you to do something that's not fitting to the Lord, what do you say? I love you? No. <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife. So he's setting it up. Guys, you've been given the, the lead. That's your role. If I was you, I'd consider how much fear and trepidation you might allow sink into your soul because that's what I carry around when I think, how do I do this? Lord, please help me. <laughs> help me lead like I'm supposed to. Husband's the head of the wife. You're in charge. You've been, she's been entrusted to your care. How do I know that? Because it says, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, washing her with the word, serving her and washing her with the word. You know what this means, guys? Pray with your wife. Pray God's word with your wife. There probably isn't a wife in this room that would say, or I don't want him to pray with me. Or most of them would say, I wish he'd pray more with me. Now, I want to tell you, that wasn't a natural thing for me either. I had my prayer closet, you know, go to your father in secret kind of prayer time. When I got married, that was, I thought that was good enough. But my wife asked me to pray with her, and it was awkward, because now I had to be completely naked and not ashamed, vulnerable, professing my weaknesses and my need and my embarrassment and my faults, and ask God to forgive me and do it in front of her, and, and ask him to help me be a better husband. I didn't say, Lord, make her a better wife, because that would have really caused problems, but, <laughs> but pray with your wife. Please, you're a priest of your household. Be safe for her to approach you with her burdens and pray with her through those burdens. I'm telling you, it's one of the most intimate things you can do. And by the way, it's the spiritual foundation that makes the emotional foundation better, and that makes the physical foundation a whole lot better too. All those things work together, but that's the way it's built. So he sanctifies her. Do not be harsh or embittered. When it says do not, that means it's your natural bent because she's different than you. She does things different than you. And sometimes it frustrates you. And if you don't get that out and get that worked through and communicate with your Lord about it, I'm telling you what happens is you'll get a seed of bitterness in your, in your, in your soul and in your heart. And then many will be defiled by it. There are lots of dysfunctional, disharmonious Christian homes where there's embitterment. And God warns us of that. It's not forgiving. It's not gracious. But he tells us, men, you might fight with that. You might struggle with that. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And it goes back to dads again. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think there's a special place for fathers in the hearts and minds of all the children. I'm thinking this is not necessarily saying, women, you don't play a role here. You can certainly discourage your children as well. But there's something about the voice of the father. And there's also something about the voice of the father when it's not been a good voice, when it's not been a good father image. There's people today in our church that still struggle deeply with father in heaven because their father on earth was not a good example. It's hard. The fathers, your voice means something. I could tell you, I got granddaughters. I never had, son, never, I never had daughters, but I do have sons. And they love their mom dearly, all of them, or their grandma. But she's just grandma. And oh, she's just mom. But they'll tell you when, when you say something, dads, you got their attention. And what you say has heavy weight with lasting impact. Do not provoke your children. You know what provoking is? Discouraging them, being overly direct, overly objective, insensitive, unkind, unloving, ungentle, unpatient. You can destroy and provoke a child or crush their spirit in less than three seconds with three words. And it doesn't even have to be directed at them. That was stupid. What did that child hear? What did he hear? I'm stupid. You think I'm stupid. And you say those words to that child and it will sear into his mind and heart for years to come and you may be able to work through it and you may be able to get forgiveness for it and they may forgive you for it because kids are incredibly gracious automatically but 
you will carry the regret of that for the rest of your life because you'll know what it did to them for that seven years. There's something about a father's voice that's very, very impactful and important. It has to be weighted. Be very careful. Fathers, you are Spider-Man. You are Spider-Man. With great power is great responsibility. That's actually biblical. To whom much is given, much is expected. So we'll wrap up with the design, and I promise I'll let you guys out of here. So design and directives. Here we go. So you got the scripture. Here's the design. Ready? In order. Christ first. Husband second. Given authority and responsibility to lead and protect and provide for his family. Wives, you submit and you continue, you come into the scale here. You choose to say, I will come under the protection of my husband because he's trustworthy and I know he's trusting God for everything. I know he's, I'm safe because he's answering to God first. He's not going by the whims of the world or his own instincts. He's saying, Lord, what do you think? Lord, what do I do? Lord, how do we proceed? He's trustworthy because you know he's trusting all things to the Lord. Easy to follow that. Kids, you come under all that. See that math? Does that work? Is that clear? We could do it foundationally and talk of this as a pillar of strength. The husband, flip it completely upside down. The husband stands firmly rooted on the, on the word of Christ like this. He uplifts and honors his wife and esteems her, and his wife goes forward with the kids, all of them being pushed heaven-bound. Husbands, here's your last fill in the blank. Sacrificially serve, strengthen, lead, and love your wife like Christ. And by the way, if you want to know what God's love looked like, just take a good look and gander at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Every one of those things is gracious, merciful, Romans 5, 8, undeserved love manifest in actions and decisions. Not when it's warm and fuzzy. God demonstrates his love for you when this, when yet you were still sinners, he died for you. And his love looks like this. Love is patient. God is so patient with all of us. God has been unbelievably kind, and that's why he's motivated us to repent, right? God never boasts. He's not rude. He stands at the door and knocks on your heart and says, would you please open the door? You could go through the list, every one of those. That's what our love for each other and what our love for our kids should look like. And guys, it's on you to lead that way. Okay, wives, support, surround him with support. Help him be stabilized because there's a lot, he's juggling a lot too, okay? <laughs> he needs you to stabilize him and he needs you to help create structure, at least in the home and in areas so that he knows. You know what? I love honeydews. I like to know what I need to do. And by the way, ladies, don't hint when it comes to that kind of structure stuff. If you need me to help you with something, please just be honest with you. We don't get hints really well. If you say to me the garbage is full, I'll say, yeah, I think so. If you want me to take it out, please ask. Hey, honey, can you use those big, strong muscles and you know, give me a flex as you take that garbage out? Yeah. <laughs> that might sound a bit manipulative, but it works. That's how... Okay, kids, children, obey your parents to please the Lord out of a love for the Lord. This is the, one of the commandments that we've had in the Ten Commandments. It does say, uh, children, obey your parents that, it will live, that you will live long in the land, which means if you don't, they will kill you. Any change in order of the design can disrupt harmony, okay? You put God down below here and put your wife up there, you're in trouble. You put the wife up here and the, or the kids up there and you're in trouble. You, make, you mess that design up, it's all messed up, okay? Quick tip, a unified front is always the best deterrent to triangulation. This is a common snare, especially for blended families. They're very subject to, to, to triangulation. Remember this one, more is caught than taught and hypocrisy has an aroma. It stinks. It absolutely stinks. Your kids are watching you, they are listening to you, and they need to learn the things of God. Matter of fact, I think it's good for you to have a good confrontation and conflict resolution conversation in love in front of your kids, because they will learn what it's supposed to be like, okay? 
I'm not saying you should yell and scream, that would be bad, that could be mental and emotional abuse. What I am saying is that it's okay to disagree and, and handle those things when they see mom and dad interact in ways that are positive. Hey, honey, uh, that, that, that sounds like you're a little bit irritated. Have I done something to offend you? Well, yes, honey, you did. You didn't take the garbage out when I hinted. But anyway, they want to see it, but hypocrisy. Memorize these verses, Ephesians 4, 29. Nothing unwholesome comes out of your mouth, but yet will give, build up as is needed for the moment. James 1, 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And here's the last one, talking about the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, the power of life and death rest on your tongue. Be careful of what you say to each other and to your kids. If you want harmony in the home, you want to cause death to harmony, I can cause that in about three seconds. I just showed you how. We'll skip the rest and I'll go to the blessing and let you guys get out of here. How's that? You can read that on your own. So I'm going to read some blessings for you. Jeremiah 32, 39. I will give them one heart and one way so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will give them singleness of heart and action so they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. Isaiah 59, 21. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of your, their descendants from this time on and forever. So says the Lord. I'm going to pray right now, reminding you that uh, there'll be baptism classes over here. If you wish to get baptized or know someone who does, I'll be up front to pray for you as well afterwards if you need anything or you want to kind of throw me on the bus or something like that. But uh, anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word that has gone forth. We pray that it resonates and has impact and develops momentum over the days and weeks ahead. Lord, continue to mold us into the image of your son through all the things that we encounter. Lord, that you would bring harmony to us as a body of Christ and harmony in our homes through hearts of humility a willingness to submit to your directives, and Lord, a desire to serve others more than ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.